Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am uh, so glad to say congratulations to my producer, Ryan, who uh, is graciously producing the show right now in a temporary position. Uh, But he uh, expanded his footprint here at Northwestern Media. Today, one of the benefits for Ryan being Ryan is he took top prize in a summer-long athletic competition that ended today. Truly a champion's champion. Congratulations, Ryan. Athletic competition, (laughs) quote-unquote. Hitting marshmallows with a... Uh, kids bat, but it was fun. It was a great. It was time. a blast. We had a lot. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. But you persevered, uh, and you you took top prize. So congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Any little speech you want to give? I've no, got, I've got I'd rather. Minutes. I got forty minutes. I, I'd rather hear from Andy. I no, think. I, I think Andy Davis has some better words than I would. So. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Whenever Andy comes on, I get extra excited. I just love his teaching. I love his uh, website because I go there often for his uh, sermon series and. He loves to preach verse by verse, and that's my favorite kind of teaching. And today we're going to talk about Job, which is a fascinating book I can never get enough of. And Andy is the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. And uh, we are always happy to have him on. Andy, welcome back. Bill, it's great to be with you. I'm excited to talk to you today about the book of Job. Yeah, me too. And one thing I learned from Job is Satan can't bring financial or physical destruction unless it's by God's permission. Yeah. And that's a vital insight. It's one of the things I'm, I'm writing a book on it this summer based on sermons. I preached 31 sermons in Job. Um, and uh, yeah, the hedge of protection. Uh, yeah. He has to ask permission to get at Job. Powerful concept. Yeah. And most of us would pray uh, that what happened to Job would never happen to us. <laughs> you know, that's an easy prayer. Absolutely. Yeah, he was singled out. Uh, he was a unique individual, and his uh, experience is written down in Scripture, timeless for us all to benefit from. Yeah, so uh, I'm excited that we're going to dig into the this uh, yeah. this book this hour, and I know mm. we're going to talk about a, a unique aspect of Job, which has to do with hope, which I find just fascinating, yeah. and I'm excited to dig in. Yeah, that's the centerpiece of the book I'm writing. You have to have kind of a center. It's 42 chapters. It's a long book. It's complex. But I, I asked the question as I was preaching, what did God intend by giving us this book? What did the Holy Spirit intend by settling it into its position in the canon and the Old Testament? How? What is the message? And uh, there's one verse in particular that I was led to contemplate and make the center of the book that I'm writing. And that's in, in Job uh, 13, 15, in which Job says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Mm. And that's just a profound and powerful verse. And it led me, uh, Bill, to the conception of just trying to help God's people suffer well, that we would go through suffering well. That's so so important, Andy. Uh, I would love that verse one more time. Job 13, what? 13, 15, though he slay me. Yeah, well, I hope in him. Wow. And and here's here's the thing. Uh, you know, you look at both halves of that. First of all, you know, why would God slay me? Why would bad things happen? That question that's asked, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Uh, Job is the is the quintessential good person that a lot of bad things happen to. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, I'll put it kind of simply this way. He said, if if God were good, he would want all of his creatures to be happy. If God were powerful, he'd be able to make them so. But because they are not all happy, uh, you know, there is this suffering. Could it be that either God doesn't exist or that he's not good or powerful? That's the apologetic question that people deal with. Uh, as we talk to non-Christians, frequently they'll point to the problem of human suffering, sure. of suffering in the world and say, I just don't think there can be a good God. But for me as a pastor, Bill, it really comes down to this. I want to shepherd people through the sorrows they actually are experiencing. They actually are going through cancer or one of their kids is or or a, or a parent or a spouse or going through uh, other losses. And the book of Job is there to help them. So the concept of though he slay me, uh, the first half to just walk through that, try to understand why God ordains suffering for his people. And then the other half, uh, yet will I hope in him? What does it mean to have a vibrant hope in God? What does it mean to suffer well? And Bill, I would answer this. To suffer well means to draw near to God during your suffering, not to go away from him or turn away or charge him with wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Pastor Andy Davis is my guest. We're going to be talking about the book of Job today. And if you have any questions or things that you've always wanted to ask about Job, let me know. 877-933-2484. Andy, before we jump back into some of your uh, discoveries as you wrote your book on Job, let's just start with the opening passage where where Job, um, where Satan stands before God. It's like, whoa, 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 Satan is an audience with God? Yeah. Well, here's here's what I believe about that. I believe that the the triune God is immeasurably or infinitely above all of creation. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and and all the nations are like grasshoppers or like a dust dust on the scales or drop in the bucket. Um, and I think even in the spiritual realms, uh, God is above the spiritual realms. Jesus is seated high above all the heavenly powers. And so uh, it says in the book of James uh, that even the demons believe and they shudder. So here's what I believe about that. They don't have constant access to God, but on a given uh, day in the book of Job, he descended within the heavenly realms and was holding audience with uh, the angels and demons, and Satan came at that point. So I don't think that they have constant access to the throne of God. I think he's infinitely above them. But on that day, uh, he was able to talk to Satan. He said, where have you come from? And he said, from roaming back and forth over the earth and going to and fro over it. Andy, one of the, thing, one of the things that reminds me of, of the cosmic conflict that's going on behind the scenes all the time that we know nothing about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me say uh, something that's one of the more complicated insights I had in the book of Job. It has to do with uh, two creatures at the end of the book. Uh, God goes through 10 animals and talks about how he uh, created them, how he uh, gives them their boundaries, how he feeds them, provides for them and uh, enables them to bear young, gives them their attributes, et cetera, 10 animals. And then Job is overwhelmed when uh, he hears God speaking about this, uh, his power over over all these creatures. And then um, he repents. And then God comes back one more time with two more creatures who he calls Behemoth and Leviathan. And uh, in my particular interpretation of that, especially Leviathan in, in the book of Isaiah is portrayed as a primordial enemy of God that God will destroy with his fierce, great and powerful sword. 
Um, and so I think it may be quite possible that Leviathan, who's portrayed somewhat like a fire-breathing dragon, may represent Satan himself. And that actually makes sense because Satan is clearly there at the beginning of the book and is not mentioned again uh, until possibly, as I said, at the end. And what God is saying is Leviathan in particular is so powerful, you can't defeat him. Any attempt you make to cow him or to tame him or to control him, you cannot do. Um, and so I think if this really is Satan, it's God saying Satan is so much more powerful than you are, but I am infinitely above him and I will control him. And, Bill, I would say human suffering, you cannot understand it properly without understanding the spiritual dimension. Satan and demons are around us and they do afflict us as God permits. Mm, such a good point, Andy. <laughs> Yesterday on the program, I asked the question, if you could ask God anything, what would it be? You had a lot of uh, feedbacks, you know, and most of the questions had something to do with suffering. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. So, you know, I, I was thinking last night uh, of Psalm, I think it's 1830, about yeah. uh, as for God, his way is perfect. And I think, well, if, yeah. his, God, if his way is perfect, so whatever he allows is also going to be perfect for us. It's going to help us in our Christian faith and our walk. Yeah, let me say something about that. I believe uh, one of the one of the lessons that I got from the book of Job is that we should not expect any explanations of our suffering in this world. Job never got one. As a matter of fact, we, the readers of the book of Job, know more about the backstory, about the discussion between God and Satan than Job did at the time. We have a sense of God's high esteem for Job. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Um, and so we have all of all of that sense, but Job never got that explanation. He's yearning for it. He he basically is saying, as suffering people do, why? Why, O oh Lord, is this happening? Why did you take my 10 children from me? Mm. <laughs> and why did you then afflict me when, the, as if that weren't enough, why would I be afflicted with these terrible sores from head to toe? Why? And, and there's this crying out of why. Well, this is what I believe. I believe we will, in fact, get a full explanation in heaven. We're not going to get it here on earth, but we will get it because God wants us to understand what he does. But as Jesus said, I have much to say to you more than you can now bear. Some of the of the insights, we can't handle it right now, but in heaven, he will let us know mm -hmm. the answers to those questions. Pastor Andy Davis is my guest. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, there's lots to talk about in the book of Job. If you have questions or Something you've always wondered about, Job, that you'd like answered, let me know what it is. I'll ask Andy, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Giveaway. I don't know if, the, if that's three words or three syllables. I'm not sure it matters. What really matters is we are giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? If you have ever wondered about hearing the voice of God or is feeling good the same as feeling God, is, is there anything I can do when God seems silent? All of that is covered in Susie's new book. And if you want to get in on the drawing, you can enter to win your copy now, can do it at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast.
and supporting Faith Radio. Why do bad things happen to good people? You've probably heard that message a hundred times, if not more. And it's, uh, in a way, uh, prompted from the book of Job, uh, because that's we sit and wonder the different ways that God was at work in the life of uh, of, of Job. And it's a age-old question. It's hard to answer. And uh, Andy Davis, my guest, is going to do his best to talk us through this and help us as we navigate suffering in life and know that God is always has a purpose and a plan for suffering. And he uh, wants us to be close and dependent upon him through every su- piece of suffering. And we may never know uh, the reason for the suffering. Well, I think that's so vital. And so what I've tried to do is extract uh, in my 31 sermons, I extracted 10 timeless lessons that are going to be the center of the book that I write. And and they have been very instructive for me. And I've developed them uh, over the last year or so as I continue to meditate on each of them. And, and I think it's where why the book is so beneficial uh, to us. Uh, I think one of the sad things about this world is I really believe if you're a child of God, at some point in your life, you're going to need the book of Job. You're going to need its wisdom. You're going to need its help. Um, All of us are going to face the sorrows and the sufferings that Job uh, faced, all of them. If you look at the four categories of suffering, which is the loss of possessions, the loss of loved ones, the loss of physical health, and the loss of reputation or esteem, uh, from surrounding people, those are those are severe trials, and uh, we're going to face all of those um, at the end of our lives when we die, and then within a few generations after our death, unless we're unusually famous people, no one will, on earth will even be aware that we lived. Yeah, that's um, so so, yeah. Fundamentally, we're going to need uh, we're going to need the lessons from the Book of Job. So the first lesson that I drew out is that suffering is most certainly going to come. But we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't live in fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward, it says in the book of Job. It's going to happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And in that same section in John's gospel where Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He also said, I've told you this ahead of time so that when it happens, you will believe that I am he. So the, the thing is, forewarned is forearmed. If you know ahead of time, I'm going to I'm going to suffer. There's going to be trouble. Don't be surprised when it comes. That's beneficial. So that's the first lesson. Second lesson is we should love our earthly blessings. We should seek them and cherish them. But we, sh- we should hold on to them tightly. We shouldn't make idols of them. Uh, we shouldn't have a sense that, uh, you know, because these things could be taken from us, we should we shouldn't venture forward. Uh, you know, a farmer plows in hope. Um, a pharmaceutical re- researcher does his or her research in hope that they will come up with a cure for the illness that they're studying. Uh, we we parent in hope. Uh, we look forward as fathers, if we have daughters, to to giving them away in marriage. Uh, we want to be part of life. We have to have vulnerable hopes, and we have to delight in the blessings, the temporal blessings God gives us. We can't live in fear. But at the same time, we can't make idols of them. I think one of the saddest things that happens, especially, let's say, with the death of a child, where individuals in their grief can charge God with injustice and and act. They they forget that the children really belong to God, not to them. It is God that knits a child together in his or her mother's womb. It is God that entrusts children to parents. And so when we grieve and we should grieve, 
we need to realize God didn't do something wrong as though he was a thief in the night stealing our child from us. That would be, uh, I think, a tendency toward idolatry, that we've put our love for our children or our love for possessions above uh, our love for God. So we should love our earthly blessings, but hold on to them loosely. And then, Bill, we talked thirdly about uh, Satan's activity. Let's understand the hedge of protection. Understand Satan's going to come after us, but God will not allow us, as he says in 1 Corinthians, to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Now, Bill, this is a complex concept, but I look at the, the whole invisible spiritual realm as a, as a matrix of complex hedges of protection all around things that God doesn't permit demons and, and Satan to get at. And then suddenly a gate opens according to the mysterious providence of God and the demons rush in and do their damage. And then the gate shuts down again. I look on it like a vast complex, like the like the Pentagon or something like that with with corridors and and walls in the spiritual realm. And God is controlling everything. They can't do anything. The demons can't do anything except at God's permissive will. And I think it's vital for us to. Hmm. So, so good, Andy. Um, I appreciate you going through your, your list. Um, and I want to just re- remind uh, people that we started Andy started this uh, topic on the book of Job, picking out one verse in particular, which is Job thirteen fifteen. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And I love that passage. And this is going to be part of the focal point of our discussion. So, Andy, can you can we move on? Can we keep going on? Because I'm taking I'm taking notes, just so you know. All right, number four. When suffering comes, respond like Job did. Um, at the end, uh, God says to Job's uh, friend and through him to the other friends, he says to Eliphaz, you did not speak what was right of me as my servant Job has. He calls him my servant Job three times. And, and I think what he means is when Job was first afflicted, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Mm. And that is how we as Christians should respond. It is the Lord that gives us all of our blessings. And he, more than that, gave us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so when we are afflicted, we should respond as Job did, trusting God, speaking words of praise. That's what it means to suffer well. So though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will hope in him. I will rejoice in him. That's what uh, hope and what a vibrant Christian hope looks like. When it comes, let us respond the way Job did. And then fifth, let's expect God to use suffering to probe us and to expose hidden weaknesses and sins in our lives. And Job repented at the end of the book. He had things to, that he had said that were wrong about God. He actually says some very harsh things. Initially, he didn't. But when the trial wore on, those inner heart sins started to bubble to the surface. And I think we should expect the same thing, Bill, to happen to us. We have internal corruptions, internal attitudes that sometimes don't come out until there is a time of suffering. So expect God to use the suffering to probe us and test us and to expose weaknesses inside. Mm-hmm. Andy, uh, I know as a pastor for over 22 years, even in, just in Durham, North Carolina, you have had experiences of what I would consider catastrophic pain that happened to somebody, uh, a family that uh, had, you know, uh, three kids die in a car accident or something of just 
Job-like proportions. And it's, I would think it would be almost impossible to say any of what we've shared so far, even though what you've said is all completely true. Well, I think what what Job's friends did well is that uh, when they first saw him, they couldn't believe how much he was suffering. And they just sat with him quietly and they didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. It's when they began to talk that they got into trouble. But sometimes, you know, that ministry of presence, just being with a friend who's grieving, going through um, the sorrow that um, that they're enduring. But then when the time comes to speak, it is so good to speak biblical truth. And the greatest, the the most, the, the, the greatest comfort there is is the presence of God through the suffering. Uh, as it says in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the flames, they're not going to hurt you. That's what Emmanuel, God meet, God with us means. He's going to walk with us through the suffering. The word became flesh and, and pitched his tent and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is with us. And no one experienced suffering like Jesus. No one, not even Job because of the infinite dimensions of the suffering Jesus went through on the cross when he drank the cup of God's wrath for us, for the sins of the world. And even before that, Jesus for three years was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He was surrounded by, by sorrowing and hurting and grieving and, and, and uh, diseased, um, leprous, paralyzed people. And, and he'd heal them, but they would go away. And then the next people that came were just as sorrowful as the last ones he dealt with. He was a man of sorrow. And to know that Jesus is with you, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the pastoral um, situations I faced very early in my ministry here. I had to do a double funeral for a murder-suicide. It was a grown son who was addicted to drugs, and he was basically shaking his mother down for money. And she had given many, many times before that, but she just couldn't enable him anymore, and she refused. And in a rage, he killed his own mother and then killed himself. And it was uh, the uh, sister, uh, daughter of the of the dead woman, a sister of the dead brother that asked me to do the double funeral. And I, what do you say? How can you even address the level of sorrow and grief that something like that? Yeah. But isn't it thrilling, and I'm just speaking to everyone listening right now, that God will walk through anything you're going through with you? I just think that's so encouraging. Absolutely. And, and here's here's probably the, the, the most unique and in, I would say um, individualized insight I had when preaching these 31 sermons. Um, I was talking to my son on the on the uh, phone and I was, I was driving home. It was in the dark. And I, I said to him, his name is Calvin. I said, Calvin, you know what? I think Job was a better man than any of us will ever be. But we have a better hope than he ever had. Um, and I, I said that because I realized that Job looked on the grave as a place of darkness. Uh, the it, the she- Sheol is what the Hebrew is. There's, it's, that's where everything ends. And he, he says in, in chapter 17, if I go down to the grave, will hope go with me? It's a place of darkness, a place uh, of no return. You know, if you cut down a tree, it may, it may actually sprout again. There might be a hidden root system and it'll sprout again. But once a man dies, that's it. It's over. Mm-hmm. And and there was a there's a darkness to Job's sorrow, but that's because he lived before Christ. He lived in the Old Testament era. Some people think he lived before the laws of Moses were given. Wow. He doesn't. Wow. He didn't have the kind of help we have. And the expression "a better hope" is a biblical one from the book of Hebrews, chapter seven, verse nineteen. Jesus mediates a better hope, based on Hebrews eight six says better promises. So better promises produce a better hope. And that's what hope is. I, you know, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. What is hope but a sense 
vibrant sense in the heart that the future is bright based on the promises of God. Mm-hmm. Let me say that hope is a sense, a vibrant feeling in the heart that the future is bright based on the promises of God. And what are these better promises? How about this one, Bill? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Fantastic. That is a promise than Job ever had. Fantastic. We're going to take a break. When we come back, lots more with Pastor Andy Davis. We're in the book of Job today. If you have questions or comments, let me know. 877-933-2484. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. So glad to be talking to Pastor Andy Davis today. You can learn more about Andy at twojourneys.org. T-W-O-J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-S. Dot org, twojourneys.org. It's a really good website. You can hear his sermons and read his articles and podcasts and books. And it's a great resource and it's really beautifully organized. If you want to pick a topic, uh, you can go and the sermons are beautifully organized. I've done this before where I've gone on a listening to an Andy binge and it's really fun. <laughs> anyway, Andy uh, as and I are talking about the book of Job today, which is something is... I just had a nice comment from a listener that said, I, oops, uh, I don't have a question, but I have a comment. I think that Job is one of the most important books in the Bible. I get a ton of my theology and worldview from things that are in the book of Job. Yeah, it's, it's a deep and profound book. It's uh, unique in the canon. It has a unique role to play. And I think it all comes from the fact that at the uh, at the beginning of all things, the beginning of history, beginning of redemptive history, Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and began um, a terrible education for us in evil from that moment on. And it's been devastating. And we're all learning uh, just the devastation of sin, the devastation of evil. We can see it in our own lives. We see it in the world around us. And we are yearning for a world in which there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. We want it. We're yearning for it. We want to be done with our own sin. We want to be done with the sins of others. And so the problem of suffering is something we're going to have to face. So I think what your listener said, I can I can re- resonate. It is a vital book. But I will say this. Um, the Old Testament raises questions that only the New Testament answers. Um, for example, the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, um, is... Uh, basically what life would be like if there is no resurrection from the dead. If there is no resurrection, if this life is all there is, then everything is vanity of vanities or meaningless as one translation gives. It's really of no worth or value. If this world is all there is, if there is no resurrection from the dead, but if Christ has been raised from the dead, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, then our labor in the Lord is not vanity. It's not in vain. It's worthwhile. I think the book of Job gives us a flavor of what suffering looks like if you don't have hope in the resurrection. Um, If you look at how Job suffers compared to how the Apostle Paul suffers, we see a marked improvement. Oh, yeah. Suffered greatly. But Paul in Philippians 1 is saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
it's better by far for me to die. I'm looking forward to dying, actually. And he wasn't macabre or suicidal. He was just looking forward to seeing God face to face, seeing Christ's glory. He, he just had a better hope. And that's because Christ rose from the dead. And so fundamentally, I think we need to suffer well by doing it as Christians, having a sense that this world is not all there is. Christ has risen from the dead. As Jesus said to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, behold, I am alive. I was dead and I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death in the grave. And so Jesus is our savior from from the grave. Uh, He said, because I live, you also will live. That gives us full confidence. And so we're able to suffer better than Job did. So like I said, the Old Testament seems to raise questions that only the New Testament answers. One of the themes or or the insights that I had from the book of Job is we have to develop, in order to suffer well, we have to develop a deep, powerful sense of the overwhelming majesty of God. A, A deep, powerful sense of the overwhelming majesty of God. In Job 13, 11, just four verses before my Evers, which is, um, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. A couple of verses before that, Job asks his friends, who are very arrogant at this point, very confident in their own righteousness, saying that Job must be a very great sinner. That's why these very great sorrows have come to him. And they think that that they're better than him. He says to them, would not his majesty terrify you, would not dread of him overpower you? Well, it's ironic that he says that because who is it that it happens to at the end of the book when God shows up and says in a mighty voice out of a whirlwind, who is this that speaks words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he asked him a series of questions that Job is overpowered by. Bill, there's something you know, that theologians call theophanies, which are appearances of the glory of God to certain key servants. And every time a theophany happens, every time the servants fall on their face before the glory of God. Uh, Ezekiel falls face down three times in one chapter. Uh, he's absolutely overwhelmed by the glory of God. And so I think for us to suffer well, we need to be humble for the infinite majesty of God. At the end of the book, he shows up and he asks Job a series of questions about all of it tending toward the creation of the world. Where were you when I put limits on the ocean and said this far you may come and no further? Did you do that? Are you able to go to the distant parts of the, of the galaxies where the stars are? Do you control the wind and the waves? And, and did you lay the foundations of the earth and all that? Um, he is trying to put Job in his place. And it works because Job puts his hand over his mouth. He said, I spoke, but I didn't know what I was talking about. He's humbled. And so, Bill, I think in order for us to suffer well, we have to develop a healthy sense of the majesty of God, that we would therefore not question God's justice or his love or his wisdom. Andy, Andy, we don't see that in demonstrated in the world very much today, that there's a, an understanding of the majesty of God. I think people have gotten very pedestrian with God, like he's, you know, the big guy in the sky and the one that's helping me out today. Exactly. They've gotten very glib. And I think if God showed up in a whirlwind, if he showed up in glory, we would be we'd be terrified. We'd be overwhelmed because of the majesty of God. And sometimes God wants to do that in in, uh, redemptive history at Sinai. He descended in fire on a mountain while the ground was shaking uh, below the feet of all the Israelites. He was doing that so that they would fear him. And so I think there's a certain arrogance we have 
when we we kind of wax strong and think we can take God on. Job himself was like that. He said, I would come into his presence and I'd tell him a thing or two. I mean, he's very bold because of his suffering and suffering can make us bold toward God, but it's inappropriate for us uh, to be that way. God is the creator. And what's interesting in the book of Job, he uses something that we call natural theology. He talks about nature. I mean, you think about about the resume of an individual. Suppose you met somebody that um, that worked for Apple and he said, I actually designed the first smartphone for Apple, you know, Steve Jobs. But he said, I was the, the leader, lead, leader of the, uh, the I felt touch screen. And it'd be like, wow, this guy's an incredible genius. He's impacted the lives of literally hundreds of millions of people around the world. Well, look at God's resume as given in the book of Job. I made everything. I made the sun. I made the moon. I made the stars. I made the ostrich. Uh, have you seen the ostrich? You can do amazing things. I, I made the lion. Uh, I made the wild donkey and I set it free. Uh, oh, I'm I'm in charge of the ocean. Um, I, I control how far it goes. That's the resume of God. Who are we that we would ever question him? And if anything, since that, that statement, his resume has only increased because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, did these incredible miracles, died and rose again. So we're talking about the infinite majesty of God. It would be well for us to develop a healthy sense of his majesty so that we would, as Job did, put our hand over our mouths when we're tempted to question him. Uh, Yeah, let's spend a part of the day just standing in awe of who he is. Let's be reminding ourselves until we put our head on the pillow tonight how awesome he is. And then when you get up tomorrow, do it again. Exactly. Yeah. And I think what God's saying to Job is, look, I run all of these animals' lives. I run the actual uh, inanimate world, the the physical earth that I designed and I, I built. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Trust me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, we can say. I know that God knows what he's doing. I know that he is shaping me and crafting me, that these light and momentary sufferings are working in me and for me, a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And I just need to trust God's skillful dealing with me. He is the Michelangelo and we are being, we are being sculpted and shaped by his hammer and chisel. And it's not painless. It is actually very painful, the skillful carving he's doing, but he's preparing us for heaven. Mm, So good, Andy. I don't want to talk about my math grades on the air, but I think you're going to give us 10 timeless lessons. I think we're through five right now. Does that sound about right? I've been cherry picking. Oh, okay. So, uh, I've <laughs> All actually right. given I've given you I've given you a number of them. Let me tell you the headings. Um, and then you know we can circle back on some of them. Um, so develop a deep sense of the powerful a powerful sense of the overwhelming majesty of God's number six. Okay. Don't ever question God's love, justice, or wisdom. I basically just said that. Yep. But that's what we do. When we when we suffer, we tend to question one of those three attributes. Either God is not loving or God is not just, or God is not wise, or we could say God is not powerful, or even worse of all, God does not exist. Don't do that. Don't question God. It's, it's one thing to ask God questions or pour out your heart in prayer, but it's another thing to question him in that regard, to be questioning of God. Don't, don't do that. Number eight, and we did touch on this earlier. Don't expect a full explanation of your suffering here on earth. God doesn't owe you an explanation. Um, he, sometimes we can have some insights. The Bible gives us some 
possible reasons why certain things may happen. And we can take some comfort in those things. But the specific providential details of why that thing happened at that time in that way, we cannot know in this world. That's not something God. And and note that he doesn't give Job any explanation at all. That's very humbling. It's like, I'm not telling you why I did these things. I'm not explaining it at all. Andy, I, I remember... <laughs> Yeah. I remember saying and learning years and years and years ago that's always stuck with me is we are accountable to him. He is not accountable to us. He does not owe us an explanation. No. But here's the beautiful thing. He will explain himself in heaven, not because he must, but because he wants to. Do you remember the statement he made to Abraham uh, concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah before it happened? He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And, and that's an internal deliberation that God had within his own mind that Abraham didn't even know about at the time. But Moses wrote about it later in the narrative. And so God wants to reveal his mind and his heart to his children. And in heaven, we're going to have, I believe, a full understanding of all of the wise choices that God made throughout redemptive history. Bill, not just for our lives but for the lives of all of the redeemed, all of our brothers and sisters, and what wisdom God displayed in their lives as well. That's actually my 10th and final point, which is in heaven, God will perfectly restore and vindicate, bless and educate all of us. That's, that's yes. encouraging. We're going to step aside just for a minute, Andy, but I don't know how you feel if you're hearing the voice of God. Is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is there... Anything you can do when God seems silent. Uh, and there's nothing like God's presence, but it's not always easy to experience. And I want to say a special thanks to all of the uh, nice folks at W Publishing. Uh, has made 100 copy of Susie Larson's new book available. It's called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? Our own Susie Larson has produced yet another amazing book. If you want to get in on the uh, 100 copy giveaway, you can enter to win yours right now at My Faith Radio. After some very interesting content and information, we're back to the Book of Job with Pastor Andy Davis. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Pastor Andy Davis is my guest. We're talking about the book of Job today. And question that came in from Mary, uh, how does suffering produce perseverance and character? Can't it produce the opposite? Hmm. It's a very good question. She's quoting um, James, um, where it says, count it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so that's, uh, that's why we should rejoice, because it is through the sufferings that we are developed and strengthened. Um, but her question implies that sometimes it can, it feels like it can have a destructive effect on us. We can be further, further away um, because of the sufferings that we have gone through. And Bill, right before we went to the break, you asked, you know, sometimes we, we cry out and we don't get an answer. We don't hear God speak. And, and that can be putting it together with this dear lady's question. 
uh, that can be why people sometimes drift away when they are going through sufferings. They feel like they are crying out for for God to be with them, for God to walk with it. And, and if anything, they feel more distant than ever before. And that's what makes it so very difficult. So I would I would commend the Psalms at that point, because aren't there many Psalms that say effectively that? Why are you so far off? Why so distant, oh God? There are actually many Psalms. And, and basically the Holy Spirit is telling you, say this when you feel this. Say these words to me and draw near to me. Come near mm. and let me minister to you. I, I would say that's the best thing we can do in suffering. It's the, it's the point of the book of Hebrews. Since we have a great high priest like this, let us draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think that the trials can be destructive in the short term for a child of God if we get bitter and if we charge God with wrongdoing and if we don't pour out our hearts to him in, in prayer. And if we maybe like try to punish God by not going to church for a while and I'm not going to have my quiet time or something like that, you're, you're doing the opposite of what you need to do. This is the time more than ever before, like Hebrews 4 says, to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a very, very good insight. Mm-hmm. Another interesting question, Andy, is this just came in on the text line. My question is, having seen the effects of loss and grieving in the lives of others and in my own life, how can we take steps to make sure that we're learning the lessons that our suffering is intended to teach us? Oh, what a great, great question. Oh, and just, just to know, just to know that there's purpose in the suffering is helpful. Just to know that it's not random. It's actually very, very carefully designed by God. That gets back to the hedge of protection and the opening that God allows Satan to have. God will not allow him to tempt you beyond what you can bear. He is specifically filtering the temptations and the trials specifically because he knows what we can handle. There's one statement very, very interesting in the book of of Judges where, where you have that cycle of rebellion, Israel's sin, and then he would send an affliction usually by an invading Gentile power, an army that would come in and make life miserable for a while. And it says in one of the uh, cycles in, in the book of Judges, Israel cried out because of their oppression, because of the oppression they were experiencing, and God could not bear it anymore. It's an amazing statement. God couldn't handle their suffering anymore. That's how compassionate God is. He doesn't enjoy, he doesn't willingly afflict his people. Um, He does it because it's necessary. So I think just reminding yourselves of the truth and, and knowing that the lessons that you're learning ultimately have to do with salvation. They have to do with our sinfulness, with Christ's finished work on the cross. And let me let me kind of zero up in on that final point. It was the ninth of my 10. I've given you the 10th already. In heaven, God will give us, he'll restore us and vindicate us and finally educate us. But um, all roads lead to Christ for me as a Christian. And Job says, if only in Job 9, he says, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us, between me and God, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Crying out for a mediator, uh, a go-between, and that is who Jesus is. He is our great high priest. He is our mediator. And then very famously in Job 19, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. How beautiful is it to know that in Christ we have a mediator, someone who understands our suffering. And so the lessons I would say is draw close to Christ, get to know him better, fill your heart with hope based on his healing work and his resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. Andy, I've always felt Job is very deep waters when it comes to trying to understand and navigate through suffering. And then I just got a text that even a child can understand and receive comfort from the book of Job. One of my daughters would say the book of Job was her favorite book. She's age eight through preteen. I found out she was uh, experiencing horrible things during that time. She found comfort from Job. Yeah, and just knowing that God God knows what he's doing, that God is there, and that in the end, Job is so comforted. Think about it this way. You could say uh, Job, toward the end of his life, he lived another 140 years after all the suffering. Let's say 135 years into it, five years from his death. Say, Job, what would you say is the final word on that? Would you say that in the end, you were in a better place? He, he would say, absolutely. He knew God better than ever before. He understood um, earthly um, prosperity and material possessions better than ever before. Excuse me. He understood life and God better than ever before. And I would say because of the New Testament now, because of the epistles, because of the coming of Christ, because of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because of the book of Revelation, we know even more than Job ever knew. Uh, We have his account. And so it is a rich and powerful book worthy of careful study. Mm -hmm. And Andy, let's uh, spend a little bit more time on on Hebrews 8, 6 in terms of a better hope. Yeah. So God has given us a better hope. um, And and just the word better, you have to ask better than what? I would say better than the Old Testament saints had. Now, they had some sense of a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, we're told in Hebrews 11. So they died, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and all those, they died in hope. They died in faith, not having received the promises. I'm just telling you, we have more definition. We have more details. We have more information. We have better promises leading to a better hope, and it's because of the coming of Christ. It was Athanasius, the fourth century uh, scholar, that told me this. The Old Testament saints generally feared death the way um, the way people without hope fear it. They didn't have that information that we do. Um, they looked on Sheol as a place of darkness and despair. But we now, and he's uh, Athanasius wrote just after Constantine's conversion, after the Roman persecutions, he said, we Christians now, we would rather die even a horrible death than deny Christ because we are so confident in resurrection. That's what a better hope means to me. It's the resurrection promise that we have. We look at the account of Jesus being raised from the dead, and and he is so far beyond death. Death can never touch him again. That is what, Bill, we're looking forward to. Resurrection bodies um, in a resurrected world uh, filled with resurrected brothers and sisters, a world with no death, mourning, crying, or pain. That's what we're pointing toward. That's our hope. That's what a better hope means to me. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And here's another question, which I don't know how to answer. The book of Job mentions uh, named constellations. I thought the name, the naming of constellations came later. 
Well, apparently not. I mean, you think about back in those days, uh, you know, the, the primordial days back in the early, early part of human history and things were simple. There wasn't electric, uh, electric light. The nights mm -hmm. were dark. And uh, shepherds are out there and they're looking out at the night sky and they're seeing all of these arrangements of stars and, and they saw them night after night. And so there is that arrangement. But clearly they there were certain names. But we know that God names every star. That's a job way too big for any human being. Uh, he has has a name for every single star in the cosmos because he has an infinite mind. It says in uh, Isaiah, because of his great power strength he calls each of those stars by name job says the same thing so that's an amazing insight and andy that reminds me once again that we should spend time in the uh, contemplating the majesty of god we should never tire of that we should never tire of it we're going to spend eternity studying the glory of god we should learn each of his attributes his power his wisdom his justice his wrath his patience his compassion we should develop bible verses uh, that, that unfold each of these attributes. But let me tell you something, Bill. It all goes down finally to the cross. The cross is the greatest display of the glory of God ever. All of the perfections, all of the attributes of God are displayed at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so when we're suffering, we need to draw near to Christ, to draw near to his cross, knowing that his blood shed atones for our sins, to draw near to the empty tomb and say, that is my future and so, yeah, the more we study the majesty and the greatness of God and the more we see it in Christ, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. As it says in Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of God's glory. As we look at Christ, we will see the infinite majesty of God. Mm. Andy, I so appreciate you taking time. I know you're on a little bit of a writing break um, and you've taken time to be on the show. So that means a lot to me. And I know that you, you write books because you really want people to grow in their uh, their understanding of God and get closer to him. And I, I can't wait to get my hands on this uh, book of, on Job. Well, I'm, if you would be willing to pray for me, uh, a lot of the thoughts are orderly in my mind now, and I've written uh, some of the chapters, but some of them still need to be put in order. I look on writing like architecture. There's a science to it, a, a structural science that has to do with the truth of the exegesis and the theology, but there's an art to architecture too. You make it beautiful, you make it appealing. And that's what I want to do with the book is to try to make it engaging and attractive to people, but also steadfast and true. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the day, and I look forward to the next time you're on again. Thank you, Bill. You Have bet. a good day. Thanks. Pastor Andy Davis has been my guest. You can learn more about him at twojourneys.org. We're going to take a break and then come back. Dr. Brent McDougall is going to join the program for more scripture engagement. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.